HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, we're talking about the United States' biggest crop. It's corn. They will always tell you that corn is like their family. Corn is their family. You treat corn like you would treat your family. These subsidy programs are supposed to be for really dealing with unexpected things that happen to farmers. Although in practice, a lot of times farmers are actually paid farm subsidies for things that we can control and do expect. There's this constant warfare going on between the oil industry and the grain industry. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexis Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed Podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we're all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I am joined by Tinger Shea, also known as at Dash of Ting on social media. Tinger is a foodie and travel expert, content creator, and blogger. She's also a digital advertising professional with her own consulting agency, Dash of Media. You can find Tinger on her blog, dashofting.com, and also on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Clubhouse. Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, Tinger. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you, Alexa. That was a really nice intro. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, a lot of good, easy to say good things about you, my friend. Um, well, Tinger, I know you are kind of like a travel and foodie expert. Um, you know, mm-hmm. let's take this all back to the beginning with kind of like food and family. I know you've kind of had a lifelong passion for food. So how did this all start? Like, what was your culinary upbringing? What was kind of the type of dishes that your family was cooking at home when you were little? What's that whole situation? 
Well, first and for- foremost, I was born in Taiwan. I'm American. I'm a Taiwanese American, and I think being Asian, food is such an integral part of our culture. It's just a way to like show love, affection. When you know our culture really doesn't do those types of physical affections, so for us, like food is. A huge communicator. So I've grown up eating all sorts of food. I'm not a picky eater. I like everything for the most part. And growing up, my mom was the person who cooked. My dad could probably make pancakes and popcorn, and that was pretty much it. So growing up, I was constantly in the kitchen with my mom. She was teaching me how to make dumplings, and then together we would also make more American foods like pizza, which is. Probably one of my favorite foods because of that.、Um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's, it was just part of growing up. Like it was really cool. Like my mom would show us how to make dumplings, like how to make the inside the filling.、Um, growing up, I didn't like it so much, but now as an adult, I really appreciate that she showed me how to do those things. My dumpling skills not so great. Really? <laughs> but, After all that? Yeah, yeah. I know. One time, my sisters.、Um, Then boyfriend was gonna come and meet my family, and my mom's like, "Oh, please help me, like, you know, make dumplings." And I'm like, "Sure, mom." And so I was like folding them, and she's like, "Oh no, this doesn't look good." She's like, "Just help mommy put in the filling, and I'll do the rest." And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> folding dumplings so, is really hard to get like the pleats." I've tried it a few times,、oh, yeah. like with other, you know. Chinese people like teaching me how to do、mm-hmm. it, and、I'm, you have to be、mm-hmm. very dexterous with your hands to be able to get the、yeah. pleats well. My my、yeah. friend who was trying to teach me how to do it said I was making them like pierogies, <laughs> just like folded, <laughs> like folded in half with no pleats, like so thick. So <laughs> I get、yeah. it; it's a little hard. Yeah, it, it definitely takes a lot of skills, but you know, with a lot of practice, eventually you'll get it. And you know, at the end of the day. I don't feel like it has to necessarily look perfect. It just has to taste delicious, and you know, you can put some hot sauce and soy sauce and whatever sesame so- sesame oil and all of those things make it look delicious and fabulous. Yes. So dumplings, pizza, like that. That sounds like a really good <laughs> variety of things. So when you came to the states, where was it that you were growing up? Like, what part of the states were you in? Sure. So from Taiwan,、um, we went to Massachusetts. My dad was getting his PhD、um, in chemistry at UMass. So we first started in、uh, Massachusetts, and then afterwards we landed in New Jersey, and a very rural, small town of New Jersey where there's no Asian food. So we definitely had to like assimilate pretty quickly to eating more Americanized foods.、Um, but there was a I want to say like an Asian grocery store about an hour away in Morristown, where my parents would get some Asian groceries.、Um, so we still had a lot of those foods that my my parents grew up eating, but not everything until、yeah. we yeah until we moved to Los Angeles, where you have you know just a wide variety of cultures and different types of grocery stores where you have、uh, you know foods that you can pick from from all over the world. Awesome. So, are both of your parents Taiwanese? Then, like, what are some Taiwanese dishes that I guess they grew up with that maybe they did make for you at home outside of the、uh, the dumplings and pizza? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of Taiwanese cuisine, you know, we are famous for having beef noodle soup.、Um, it's basically you are. Putting beef in like a pressure cooker, then you're adding the noodles, and you have to have like, you know, 
all the different spices for that. It's like one of my favorites. Um, we had that once in a while, not as often. It was more about like sauteing a lot of vegetables with like garlic and sesame oils. Um, and then also it wasn't until I moved to California that I got to try some of my mom's favorite dishes, which include shaved ice. Have you had that before? Ooh, I don't think, I, yes, but not probably as good as what you're describing. <laughs> I probably yeah. had some like rip off versions. <laughs> so what is so it like, like, describe it? Yeah. So the Taiwanese shaved ice is basically, um, like a condensed milk version of ice. And then they shave it down to what becomes a very fluffy snowflake, like uh, mm. dessert. And then, yeah. And then they'll put sometimes more condensed ice on top. Sometimes they'll put mangoes. Sometimes they'll put like red beans, which you're thinking like, oh, is that going to taste good? But with a lot of sugar, everything tastes really oh, good. Oh yeah. And with the condensed milk too, like yum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then sometimes they'll put boba, like basically whatever you want to put that tastes sweet, they'll add that in there. So I tried that for the first time when we moved to California or to Los Angeles. Um, so that was a really great ex first time experience with my mom. Um, she didn't make it at home. We actually went out to a Chinese restaurant um, to try it and it, it was fun. She's like, let me show you one of my favorite desserts growing up because you can't find that in New Jersey or at least not oh where God. we grew up. So it was that's nice. so cute. Yeah, that sounds mm -hmm. delicious. Yeah. And I feel like once you like you said, once you relocated to Los Angeles, you kind of had that, like the world was your oyster as far as like tapping into some of those Asian cultures in a more kind of authentic way, just because of the population there. So that's really mm -hmm. cool. And so what I know you, what point of your in your life was it that you started taking on this kind of travel journey? I know you've been to like dozens of countries. And so what is kind of mm -hmm. the deal with that? Yeah, so growing up, I had an aunt who lived in, who grew up in Brazil. Um, and so she would always say like, oh, you have to come to Brazil one day. It's great. We have soccer and all of these things. And then um, we also traveled to Canada because we were so close enough to the border that we could drive there. So I was always interested in travel. I used to watch National Geographics growing up. And it was not until I was uh, like late in my 20s, um, I started traveling independently. And one of the main reasons why I did that was because I was coming off of like a really harsh breakup. And I was like, I need to get away. I need somewhere warm, tropical, you know, delicious food, a nice, fun party environment. And I remember growing up, my aunt, my Brazilian aunt, Sofia, would be like, you got to come to Brazil. Like Rio de Janeiro is like an amazing place. And so when I thought about the breakup and I thought about like, where should I go? I was like, you know what? I'm going to Rio. And I remember also watching that Snoop Dogg videos, beautiful. And, and with a combination of everything and, you know, Carnival, I was like, I got to go there. So I literally booked my flight and went down there. And one of my coworkers at the time, she's like, Tinger, you can't go by yourself. We don't know this place. Like it might be dangerous. Like I'm going to come with you. And I was like, um, okay, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, so no we more. ended up going down there together and we ended up staying with a bunch of guys who were international students and they had already been there for six months. So they knew the lay of the land of Rio and they could speak Portuguese pretty fluently. And also they could speak English. So it was just such a fun experience. I'm like, I got to come back. As soon as I like went there, I came back and within a couple days, I missed it so much. I booked another flight to go back in like another like month or two months. So. Oh my goodness. So that yeah. kind of like, <laughs> did that kind of give you the travel bug and make you want to oh, yeah. travel to all these places? That's kind of how it happened. 
Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I just had such a great experience meeting people from all over the world. Um, it, it almost became like my new passion slash like addiction. I just couldn't get enough of it. And, and so every six months or even sooner, I would plan my next trip. And it was always somewhere like relatively like warm and tropical like or beachy and so shortly afterwards I was like you know my one of the friends I had met in Rio he was like Tinger I'm going to Thailand you should come meet me and I was like okay sure so (laughs) I yeah I went to go meet him at the best time and on the way back I saw a video talking about how beautiful relaxing Bali was and this was back in oh gosh like maybe 2000 nine by that time and I was like Bali I was like I've never I couldn't even imagine what it would look like there but the video uh, on the airplane ride just made me so curious that when I came back I'm like I gotta book my next trip there so I went and that just you know continued to snowball into going to like more countries and discovering um, different cultures and food oh my gosh yeah I mean 2000 Bali in 2009 I feel like Bali became you know, kind of a very trendy, you know, popular place to go probably in the last, I don't know, five to 10 years. So you were really on the cutting yeah. edge of like the whole Bali, like oh, yeah. trend, I guess. <laughs> there were no Americans back then, like barely any Americans. It's mostly Australians, some Swedish kids, some kids from like, uh, like Canada um, and maybe Israel. And that was basically it like you didn't see too many people from the U.S. there so it was it was nice because you got to get away and not have to meet other Americans while you're traveling yeah and you were quite a trendsetter with that so what are some of your Mm -hmm. I guess I'm sure it's hard to pick it's probably like picking a favorite child but (laughs) out of everywhere Mm. you've traveled you know kind of looping in you know the travel and the food like out of the places you've traveled what were kind of some of your favorites or some highlights as far as culinary and travel experiences combined. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite destinations for food is Morocco. If you love... Yeah, the kind of the heavy but slight like savory types of food. Um, Morocco is the place. And one of my favorite dishes from Morocco is uh, like a lamb prune tagine. Um, And before I was like, oh, lamb is kind of gamey. But Lamb in Morocco, not gamey. It is delicious. It's tender. They put in dates, so it's like slightly sweet. They add in a little mm. bit of cinnamon, cumin, paprika, um, all of those different spices that just complement each other. And then they add in like couscous, so you have like that heartiness from, you know, that delicious carb with the sauce. And oh my gosh, it was the place I went to to like try tagine for the first time happened to be one of the best restaurants in all of um fez and i only found out later through this booklet that it was and it was it was one of those magical dinners um, where like it was on a rooftop they had all of these small little plates called the mezza plates and all these different dishes and then after that they brought out the tagine and even after that after i was really full they brought out like like bowls and bowls of fruit and at that time it was yeah, it was probably like around nine or 10 o'clock at night. There was someone playing the harp. It must have been like 70 to 73 degrees with a slight wind. Like everything oh was perfect. Just a fairy tale, a little yeah. dream. Yeah, yeah. And if that doesn't appease you, you know, I was also very hungry. So, you know, there's a saying they say hunger makes the best flavor. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> 
one of my favorite dinners I've ever had in a very, very long time. Oh my God. Well, oh, you're taking my breath away. That sounds so <laughs> wonderful. Oh my goodness. So doing all this traveling and kind of learning and trying new cuisines, has, did that kind mm. of affect your, your cooking style? Or tell me a little bit about kind of stuff that you've adapted based on what you've learned on all these travels from a culinary perspective. Yeah, I think traveling really opened my eyes to like different flavors and just wanting to be more expansive in like trying something that I've never, you know, heard of before or seen before. Because at the end of the day, if the food looks good and you see people like really enjoying it, you're just like, you know, maybe I want to try that too. And so that definitely played a role into where my blog is now, Dash of Ting. So basically what ended up happening was I created Dash of Ting because I was on my own weight loss journey. I lost about 20 pounds in two and a half months. Wow. Yeah, I know. It was pretty quick. Um, and Hopefully a lot of safely. To, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely safely. Um, and, and a big part of it was I wasn't carbo loading like I was before. And it was eating like relatively lower carb foods, like simple carbs. And that helped me drop a lot of weight and also gave me more energy and more steady energy. And so I didn't have to take naps as frequently as before. And I didn't have any like bowel issues that I ha was having before. So all of those things really helped. But part of the program in terms of like eating, you're thinking like, oh, eating low carbs, like do I have to eat salad? Like, I don't want to be a rabbit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and and I didn't want to eat like that either. And I'm like, you know, one of the things I miss the most about, like, having a more, like, restrictive dietary plan was not having, like, Mexican food, Chinese food, whatever foods I wanted. And so I thought, like, okay, what if I create my own dishes that are relatively low-carb, whether it's already existing or if I can make one quick substitute like would that reduce my carb intake mm. so that's what I did I started I'm like I miss my like fried rice so I was already creating cauliflower fried rice before it became trendy and I learned that from what? like this food group I was part of yeah and then uh, another instance is you know I love Mexican food but I couldn't be eating like tacos so easily or burritos so easily but what I could do is I could eat ceviche because that was relatively low carb and I could have kebabs and all of those things that I didn't think of until I started writing down like what foods are relatively low carb and so oh. I created recipes for my blog for that because other people were curious like how did you lose weight I want to do what you did and that's what I was that that was what the blog was for but you know, Interesting. Uh, I don't know. Are you a big cook or do you usually go yeah, out to eat? A little bit of both. I mean, mm. I cook during the week and then on the weekends, I'm, you know, going out and having dinner and, you know, a bottle, you know, splitting a bottle of wine and, you know, having drinks mm -hmm. is literally my favorite thing in the world to do. So it's, you know, <laughs> it's definitely yeah. like a weekend treat thing for me. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, yeah, I mean, what you're describing makes so much sense where if you kind of make a few easy tweaks mm -hmm. that you can still do both because I feel like that's yes. kind of the hardest thing for people who, yes. you know, are on sort of a weight loss journey or even just like a healthier diet journey. Um, when you go out to restaurants, what do you do? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's what you were answering was that question of, hey, you want to go to a Mexican restaurant? Try this mm -hmm. or like fajitas mm -hmm. without the tortillas or whatever it is that you're exactly you were kind of giving. And that seems like it was something that really kind of kickstarted your online presence, right? 
Yes, exactly. So like you had mentioned, so people started asking me like, Tinger, I don't know how to cook. I don't want to cook. I don't have time to cook. What can I eat while I go out? So then I was making those suggestions and putting them on social media instead of my blog. And that's basically what started to catapult people's interest because, you know, people want things that are easy, convenient, but also delicious and hopefully healthy. That's always the goal. Um, And so when I started posting that and I also, you know, posted recipes on the side, that's when I actually um, had friends start to take notice. And then one of my friends, uh, he's also a TV host. He's like, Tanger, why don't we start a YouTube channel together? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. You know what? Since I worked in digital advertising, why don't you ask your agent if we can get on Tastemade? And so he's like, oh, they actually reached out to me. And so we started hosting shows together. And then eventually we hosted shows independently. Um, So that was kind of the kickstart of like how I got into like hosting and how I catapulted my uh, social media presence even further. Goodness. Well, what a story that that seemed to all work out exactly how it was supposed to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything kind of happened for a reason there. Um, so tell me about I know you have kind of a, a mix with your I guess your blog is the, the cooking and also the you know, going mm-hmm. out to eat and the travel and the lifestyle. But for your actual cooking style, I guess, how would you mm-hmm. describe it? Is it satisfying health food or how would you describe the type of food that you prepare when you're you know at home either for yourself or for friends or whoever you're cooking for yeah I want to say it's like healthier it's delicious food with a healthy twist because at Mm -hmm. the end of the day no matter how healthy it is if it doesn't taste good nobody's gonna eat it so I just make small tweaks to make it like healthier and healthier could be subjective. Usually it's a little bit more on the lower carb side, Mm -hmm. Um, but it could also be like maybe you're reducing the amount of red meat you're intaking or you're reducing the amount of uh, like sodium or maybe you're including some spices that are better for the body. Um, So, you know, all of those things take into play of like the dishes I create, but most of the times it's lower carb. Okay. And then as far as like cultural influences and what you prepare, you know, when you are cooking from home, is it, do you kind of lean on your family's background or your travels or what are some of the, uh, the tinger staples as far as like cultural dishes, I guess? Yeah. So a lot of the dishes I create definitely are from my background, you know, utilizing like soy sauce, chili sauces, um, any sauces that I grew up eating. (laughs) Um, those are usually like my go-to. I'm comfortable using those types of seasoning, but you know, because of my travel and because sometimes I don't want to eat Asian foods all the time, I do create other dishes. Sometimes I look on Instagram at my friends' pages. Sometimes I look on like the feed feed um, or other websites. Uh, sometimes I look at like my favorite YouTubers to see what they're cooking and try to recreate that. And other times it could be like I went to a restaurant. I really like this dish and I remember all the different flavors and try to recreate something similar to that. Interesting. Yeah. So it's a pretty eclectic, like you Mm. wouldn't, you probably wouldn't put yourself in a box of, you know, one or two different types of cuisines. It sounds like you're doing a lot of different stuff all the time, which is, in my opinion, the way to go because variety is the spice (laughs) of life. And I personally, I don't know if you're the same way. I'm not a huge leftover gal and, you know, not my proudest trait, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like mm-hmm. once I've had something, you know, if I've eaten, you know, tacos or, you know, Mexican food one night, I don't want that the next night. I want something different. So yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's good to have that variety. 
Yeah, I think when it comes to leftovers, so growing up, my parents were like, don't waste food. There's hungry people out there. And yes. so for me, I'm very cognizant of that, but very similar to you. Like sometimes I get bored of eating the same thing like back to back. So what I'll often do is sometimes I'll take that dish and I'll recreate a new dish altogether. I think fried rice is an easy way to do that. If you have leftover meats, boom, make fried rice, put it all together. And then you have a completely different dish. And then other times, like what I'll do is if I have leftovers, especially from restaurants, not so much my own cooking, but from restaurants, um, I'll actually get, I'll find like the closest, you know, um, area where I see a lot of homeless people. Unfortunately, there's quite a bit in Venice where I live. And so I'll just drop it off because like a lot of the places I go to, they're really nice restaurants and it's really delicious food, but I already know like maybe it's too carb heavy for me or like I'm going out of town and I hate, hate wasting food. So I prefer to give it to someone who I know is most likely going to eat it or is hungry enough to want to eat it. Yeah, definitely. And let me clarify, just because I don't like leftovers does not mean someone in my household is not eating said food. (laughs) I'm just not the big leftover (laughs) eater. It gets eaten, don't you worry, but not always (laughs) by me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Amazing. So when you're making dinner each night, I guess how many days a week are you cooking, Tinger? Oh gosh, it depends. If I'm traveling, no days. If I um if I'm home, I try to at least cook at least once a day, if not like at least let's say five times a week. Okay. At least five meals in a week minimum. That's that's a good amount. That's a pretty good yes. amount. So when yeah. you're making dinner for yourself each night, how do you kind of approach that? You know, what's for dinner? What is what does Tinger do? Are you looking at what's seasonal? Are you what's what's the process you know maybe it's very cliche to say but sometimes uh, I just listen to my body if I feel like you know I don't want to eat a lot of heavy meats then I'll lean a little bit more like veggie forward I'm not a vegan or vegetarian by any means I love my meat Um, but it just depends on what mood I'm in if I want something light then maybe I'll make like a soup or if it's cold outside I'll make a soup or roasted veggies like right now it's been much colder so I'm cooking more like roasted Japanese pumpkin and like sweet potatoes um, and soups and then during the summertime I will make maybe like a fruit salad or I'll make um, other like like grilled veggies. So it's it's somewhat seasonal, but also I need to make dishes for myself only. That's very, very easy to make. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, either I can pop it in the air fryer, which is my favorite or saute it that, you know, saute something that like doesn't take more than like five, 10 minutes. That would be my go-to ideal meal. But if I'm cooking for someone, oh, I could be in the kitchen for like one to two hours. No problem. Like I I love it. (laughs) But the thing is, I cook for compliments. <laughs> Maybe that's like, oh my really God, cooking for about. compliments, TM, oh, yeah. trademark that. That is, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how I grew up. My mom would cook food and then she'd be like, which one is your favorite? Are you sure you like that one? I'm like, mom, I like this one. So like every time she cooks for me, I have to pick at least one dish that like I rant and rave about. Otherwise, oh like God. I know she won't be happy. So I feel like inherently I've been, I've inherited that trait. So now I cook for compliments. So if you compliment me, I will feed you all day long. You will be my best friend. (laughs) Okay. Well now I know what I need to do to get some Tinger food in my life. Well, 
yeah. <laughs> just shower you with compliments. That's really funny you say that because my family makes fun of me because when I cook for them and, you know, they're eating and we're sitting down, I always say, do you love it? Do you love it? <laughs> Not just like, what do you think? Do you like it? What, mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. I'm just like, do you love it? Tell me you love it. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're one and the same. <laughs> yes, I totally get that. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, real quick, Tinger, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I'm able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected. And I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. So we talked about how you approach dinner every night, which all makes perfect sense. Now tell me about some ingredients that you always have on hand in your kitchen. I mean, I always have soy sauce. I always have sea salt. Um, I always have uh, sriracha as well, or like the chili paste. Those are Mm -hmm. my go-tos. I also have, let's see, what else do I have? In terms of, is it only sauces or just no, no, anything like produce? Like, what's in Tinger's kitchen all oh, the time? Garlic. I always have garlic. I don't think I don't understand people who don't like garlic. Like, I oh always have to have garlic. Especially, you have to have, have fresh garlic. You can't do like the oh, pre-minced yeah. jarred stuff. You have to do fresh. Oh no, garlic. no, no. And does it count if you have it like pre-peeled, <laughs> or is that cheating? I think that's fine. No, no. no. <laughs> I've thought about that to myself. Don't you worry. I've gotten it pre-peeled from the grocery store before and I've thought the same thing, but I'm like, it still has all the flavor. It's just a little bit easier. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Because the Um, pre-minced stuff is not as flavorful. It's, it's, it just doesn't have it. So pre-peeled we're good with. Passes the test. (laughs) And I want to say, I probably always have like onions in my house. Um, I usually have ginger in my house as well. I usually also have shirataki noodles. It's have you heard of it? It's a low carb noodle. No, no. Oh are gosh. they like rice noodles? What are they? No, they they can mimic kind of like rice noodle depending on what the mix is. So shirataki noodles is a Japanese noodle made out of konjac, which is a Japanese yam, and it's low carb. It's kind of the consistency of a very firm jello. Um, oh. and like a regular like noodle or pasta. And depending you, on what is it like, you con- did you said konja? I know what konjaku is. Is that different than that? Uh, I'm not sure what that one is. Konjak <laughs> is K-O-N-J-A-C. Um, it's the Japanese yam and yeah, it's low carb. So like each packet usually that you can get the Asian grocery store, but also like Whole Foods or any like mainstream grocery store and near the tofu section. Um, each package is usually like 10 to 20 calories and like less than one gram of carbs. So what? I love it as a noodle substitute. And does it kind of mimic like it does? Do you feel like you're missing anything with it or no? 
I think it's a good enough substitute depending on the brand. Some brands are a little bit better than others. Um, but no, I mean, the thing is, I love noodles and I love pasta, but I yes. don't like feeling bloated afterwards. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have to listen to my body. And so I eat shirataki noodles as a substitute. So I don't feel lethargic afterwards and I don't feel bloated. If I didn't feel any of those things, girl, I would be eating it. I don't care about the weight <laughs> part. <laughs> No, I, I totally get that. Like eating, like, you know, sitting down and eating a bowl of pasta is like you're blocking in. Like that's a commitment. Yeah. That's a choice. Yeah. That's not like a <laughs> passive thing to do. Like you yeah. are making that conscious choice to feel that way. It's yeah. always worth it, but yeah, not, not every day. So that's, that's a great idea. I'm going to look, I'm going to look into that. It sounds like a good, cause I'm kind of, you know, I'm putting, I'm putting myself on blast again. Like I'm not a big, like zoodles gal or like cauliflower rice it's just so sad like it's so (laughs) sad like I can't like yeah I'm sorry like you're not fooling anybody stop pretending like I can't do it so gross I I definitely feel you yeah you know like I wouldn't do that either except sometimes I just don't feel good and I have to listen to my body so yeah that's one of the reasons why I do those substitutes just so I feel better but I, yeah. I feel you. Like if I didn't have to, I love rice. So <laughs> oh my god, too. rice is like my favorite thing. Even just like plain white rice. Like anytime I go to an Asian restaurant, whether it's Chinese, mm-hmm. Japanese, Vietnamese, whatever it is, I always just mm-hmm. like, as much as I love the food I'm eating, <laughs> like the plain white rice is so good. Like, I don't know. It's because they make it obviously a million times better than I can make, you know, white rice at home. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I love it. I've always loved white rice so much, which is like, not the most nutritious thing in the world, but Alexa, you're secretly Asian. <laughs> I literally am. Oh my God. I've like thrown, like when I was little, I would like throw tantrums. If my mom tried to feed me brown rice, I was like, oh my. as you can tell, I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a pain, but <laughs> for better or for worse. So Tinger, tell me who inspires you, whether that be from like a culinary standpoint or a life standpoint, who are some of your inspirations that you look up to? Yeah, I think from like the culinary standpoint or like kind of the promotion of cultural diversity, I, I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain, you know, recipes. Yes. Like he really made a difference in terms of showcasing like the best and also a real version of like how people live day to day in different countries and different cities. And that made me want to explain continue to explore just by watching his shows. So he's definitely played a huge influence um, in what I do in promoting cultural diversity through food on my own page. Um, Another person who I love watching too is Sunny from this YouTube channel called Best Ever Food Review Show. He also explores the world and shows like unique parts of the world that has like foods that you may not have even heard of. It's definitely Mm -hmm. not mainstream food, more localized food, sometimes street food, sometimes foods, um, you know, created by like tribal members of various regions of the world. So to me, that's very fascinating because I love to learn about food and culture and And then, of course, my mom, she 
yeah, she just, she really was the one who like pushed me to try different types of food. She's very exploratory when it comes to that. My dad, uh, he's open, not as open as my mom. My mom loves to try everything. Um, but I think in terms of like humanity and how to treat people, um, my dad has been a huge role model for that. He's the type of person who's like, you know what, no matter where anyone is in life, treat everyone with respect, treat people with dignity. Um, everybody deserves to, you know, have at least those basics um, granted to them. So yeah, he he's probably taught me how to be the best human being possible. Oh my God, that's so cute. <laughs> Your parents sound absolutely amazing. Like what a good duo. It sounds like your dad's maybe a little pickier and probably gives your mom a hard time, but he sounds yeah. like such like a kind soul and like good person. And like they, oh, yeah. yeah, how lucky to, you know, have those cultural influences and like have them, you know, bring you up in that way that opened your, your eyes and your heart yeah. and your stomach to, you know, all the best that's out there. So those are perfect inspirations. What a lovely answer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. So another random question. Tell me mm -hmm. how often you grocery shop. Oh, if I could, I could go grocery shopping every day. I love Isn't it. Isn't it kind I of fun? <laughs> yeah, you just make, you know, you just go like discovering different products. I look to see what other people have in their carts to see if that's something I would be interested in. When I travel, I actually go to local grocery stores and I, I see the lay of the land. I see what products that are, that are available. I actually will buy olive oil. I'll buy wines. I'll buy spices, which is usually what I typically do is I buy a lot of spices that are easier to carry back with me. And mm -hmm. then I'll recreate some of those dishes and I'll re and I'll share some of those like, you know, types of beverages with my friends when I would have dinner parties when I come back is at the end of the day, nobody needs another trinket. Nobody needs another like, you know, keychain or shot glass. They, they don't want that. They want something delicious. At least that's what I tell myself. So oh my I bring gosh, back yeah. Amen. And, yeah. That, I, I signed <laughs> me up. Like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds perfect. Yeah. I don't need a shot glass. I don't need a coaster. Feed no. me. <laughs> yeah. I would bring that back for like my coworkers and my friends. And so they love when I like travel because they're like, oh, what's Tinger going to bring back next? Yes. What is some of the, like you said, you know, you were kind of talking about discovering new grocery store items and during your travels. What is like, have you, are there a few things you've discovered that have like changed that have made like a huge difference that you're like, oh, I tried this, you know, Israeli blank that now I use on everything? Or is there any like big standouts from your travels that you use? Or at least if you have access to them that you can use? Yeah, I mean, when I when possible, I prefer to get like, olive oil in like Europe or North Africa or the Middle East. I just feel that they don't they don't have that type of food here available. What I'll also do is if I go to Italy, and this is probably more the exception, when I go to Italy or Europe, I'll actually bring back bread and dessert and pasta that's fresh. And the I'll bread like share stays that. good? Oh yeah, and I'll share that with my friends. Sometimes I'll freeze it. I think one of my favorite um, desserts I got was Oh gosh, um, it's those Portuguese egg tarts. I bought oh, a dozen. Oh, pasta stenata? Yes. I bought yes, a dozen. I know that because I'm Portuguese. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Yeah, that was and like, I, 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 I kind of was like hoping you were going to say that because as uh, while I am Portuguese on my dad's side of the mm -hmm. family, I really don't mm -hmm. know 
that much about Portuguese cuisine. Mm. And I actually did a video on like discovering more about my Portuguese background. And I learned about pastéis mm. de nada like just in the last year because uh, I didn't know about it. So I was like, when you were talking about what's that Portuguese oh, egg tart, I was like, oh, I'm hoping that's what you were going to oh, ask because I just yes. learned about those. Yes. So those hold that up is... well if you bring them back? Uh, um, not so well. <laughs> and the thing is, I love these egg tarts so much, even more so than like the Chinese version or the Hong Kong version. I love these so much. I didn't want to share with anyone and I didn't know how to like keep them, you know, fresh for that long. So I would eat one every day, like really slowly. And then after a while it started to mold. And I was so sad oh. because like I said, I hate wasting food. And number two, like I went out of my way to go back to that like particular store in um, Lisbon to get it so I could bring it back to the seas. And yeah, I mean, that was one of my favorite desserts. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. That, those are really, really good. Yeah. That's a bummer that they didn't last that long. I mean, I'm shocked they even lasted as long as they did. I would imagine those were like a oh, pretty, yeah. pretty low shelf life, but that's yeah. what makes them good is that they're fresh. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, I mean, accidentally a few times I've actually brought back fruit from like Southeast Asia, which is really, really delicious there. Um, and I'll like open up my bag. I'm like, what is this? And then I see like a half like crushed fruit and I was like, no. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it was worth a shot. <laughs> mm-hmm, You've totally mm-hmm. inspired me to, you know, once it's safer, you know, I've been saying this to myself for a while, as I'm sure that we all have, you know, once where, mm-hmm. you know, traveling is more of a thing just to kind of take advantage of it because we yeah. kind of, you know, took that ability for granted before, but even just talking to you and has made me kind of, has given me that bug even more than I already had mm-hmm. it. I'm like, oh, I need to get out there. Even before, you know, 2020, I would say mm-hmm. I hadn't been on like a good, like long, like international trip in a while. Like it was, I was due in 2020 and then 2020 hit. So it's been... I'm long overdue for a good trip, so you'll have to uh, help me pick somewhere because I feel like you're the most, probably the most well-traveled person I know. So, congrats. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, a high accolade. Thing, I was going to say, the one thing I wish I could have brought back with me um, was my one of my last trips I went on before, you know, the pandemic happened. Um, it was to Norway and I was doing a show there showcasing all of the regional foods for that particular time period, which is like late summer, early fall, I believe. And man, I had one of the best butters. I don't even like butter, but I had a butter that was so clear and so light that like you put it on your tongue and it literally just sinks into your pores and it's clean. There's no film. There's no like, you know, stickiness. It was so clean. And I was like, wow. I'm like, that's probably how butter is really supposed to taste like, unlike, you know, whatever you get at the grocery store. And that the cheese amazing. also was really, yeah, the cheese was delicious. Like, and I tried milk for the first time from straight from a cow. Like a cow was better. it? Was it kind of like warm? Yeah, it was, weird. It was a, little, a little warm and it was actually a little sweet. So, oh. um, yeah, so it, it was actually, it tasted good. I'm not a big milk fan but like you know right it was from definitely the udder, you gotta trying. give it a give yeah. it a try <laughs> I know that's how adventurous I was and wow. even in that region I actually went um diving for a sea urchin and I picked it up from the ocean and I actually ate it in the water with like the sea urchin diver master oh yeah so did you have it was like uni <laughs> that you ate or what part of it that yes. you, was it that you yes <gasps> how uni. was it yes 
It was really delicious. Seafood in that region of the world is so sweet because of the super frigid cold water um, that usually all of the seafood, like shrimp, um, you know, shellfish, like all of that is like very sweet. So it was it was definitely a treat to actually, you know how people say like, oh, I eat farm to table. This is literally like sea to my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah forget the yeah. table. <laughs> Literally, oh my god, yeah, because like uni is such a delicacy. I'm not the biggest mm-hmm. fan. I, it's definitely an acquired taste. Um, mm-hmm. I've tried. I mean, it, I've tried it many times. It's very. It's kind of slimy, and you know, yeah. I, I'm sure it was really good when you had it fresh. But when you have it, mm-hmm. you know, at sushi restaurants here in the states, it can be a little like fishy. Like I'm sure yeah. they're getting good quality stuff, but it's yeah. you definitely have to be. Yeah. Uh, have to acquire the taste for it, but I'm sure mm-hmm. that was amazing. Like what a delicacy yeah. and like what a unique experience. My gosh, yeah. Tinger. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could bring all those things back. <laughs> yeah, you've got me jealous. My goodness. <laughs> so now I have maybe the hardest question for you. <laughs> sure. We're going to play a little game of F. Mary Kill about food. So okay. the three options are tacos, sushi, and pasta. Okay, I would marry sushi. Me too. <laughs> no brainer. Um, yeah. Um, marry. Oh, it was like sushi, pasta, and what was the other one? Uh, tacos. Tacos. Marry tacos and then F pasta. Only you said marry sushi. Oh, sorry. Did I say marry sushi? Yeah, marry <laughs> sushi. Uh, kill, kill pasta. pasta. And then F F tacos. tacos. Okay. (laughs) That, that's a solid answer. I would definitely marry sushi myself. Pasta Mm -hmm. and tacos would be tough because what you're saying about the pasta hurting your stomach, I'm totally with you there, but it's so good. I would maybe F it because it's like an indulgence, like a, you know what I mean? Like it's bad for you. I think gnocchi is probably one of my favorite pastas. And like fresh made, like from a real, you know. Yes. in-house like ooh, yes. uh, well this is if anybody <laughs> listening to this isn't hungry then I don't know what to tell you because I yeah. just ate and I'm like starving again like Tinger has got me really jonesing for like travels and delicious food and I guess I'll just go back to eating my like dried fruit and almonds that I have here in the kitchen it's fine I'm just drinking tea I, I didn't even really eat all day okay yet, so okay yeah <laughs> it's almost the weekend so it's almost time for us to celebrate you know have some better, less, I don't know if you do the same thing as me, but during the week I kind of eat healthier and then on the weekends kind of go a little crazy. So we're getting, we're getting close to uh, me indulging (laughs) a bit this weekend. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) Well, was there anything else super important or burning that I did not ask you yet, Tinger? Um, I think you pretty much covered most of it um I guess I have a question for you are you gonna come out to LA anytime soon I mean if you do I love to show you around literally like now I am (laughs) (laughs) and I know like a lot of the different restaurants so you know we could go around and since we both have our you know food accounts I'm more than happy to like you know show you introduce you to different like restaurant friends and then we can just take pictures eat and you know, stuff our face silly. So sounds like a dream. I, <laughs> if you didn't have me convinced before, I'm convinced now. And I was pretty convinced before. So once it's like safe <laughs> to travel, I am there. Like, I feel like, you know, summertime is going to be really 
wonderful. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed. So Mm -hmm. yes, I will have to take you up on that 100%. Well, thank you so, so much, Tinger. This was so much fun. And I feel like I learned a lot about you and your travels. And it's just, you're always so fascinating to talk to. So thank you for, thank you for being here. Thank you, Alexa. Yay. So everybody listening, thank you so much for being here as well, for sticking around with us to learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed. Head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed. And don't forget to follow Tinger at Dash of Ting on Instagram as well and check out her blog. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve that question of what's for dinner, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.